0: This uh, obtuse area uh, in dermatology, vasculitis in the skin, how do, we, how do we think about that? What do we do when a patient shows up with palpable purpura in their lower legs? Uh, so my hope is, again, this is a fairly basic approach to the subject uh, in terms of how you go about recognize what is vasculitis in the skin, what's not, Uh, how you uh, think about the classification of cutaneous vasculitis, which entities you have to worry about there being underlying associated risk for systemic vasculitis, and potentially life-threatening complications from that, and which ones can you just manage by yourself as a dermatology healthcare provider. And our objectives here, kind of understand the definition and classification of cutaneous vasculitis, we're gonna talk about some systemic vasculitis entities, but by definition, the ones I'm gonna talk about all have cutaneous expression of their vasculitis as well. Otherwise, we shouldn't have to worry about those as, as dermatology providers. But anything that's vasculitis in the skin, we kind of have to be ready for, to recognize and to help triage if we can't manage them ourselves. Uh, we're gonna talk about what what vasculitis isn't as well as what vasculitis is. Uh, We need to recognize the differing morphologies of the cutaneous lesions uh, that can result in this setting. Uh, We're going to emphasize the ones that affect the smallest vessels in the skin because those don't affect the bigger vessels and therefore don't have as much risk for systemic disease or systemic vasculitis uh, complications recognize the clinical syndromes uh, that are associated with vasculitis, focusing on those ones that are mostly in the skin, and understand the first-line treatment approach uh, to treating, particularly cutaneous small vessel leukocytoclastic vasculitis. Let's talk first about cutaneous vascular phenomena, because the terminology can be very confusing in this area. Uh, What's purpura? What's petechiae? What's what's a bleeding diathesis versus inflammatory vascular wall injury? So I've kind of approached it this way. Purpura, uh, which is a term used most commonly uh, as a reflection of blood cells getting out of damaged blood vessel walls in the skin, and in the skin they produce this red-purplish color, purpura. Uh, uh, If you think about it, that's bleeding into the skin. That's intracutaneous bleeding. So vasculitis is one way you can get purpura, but there are other ways you can get it too. Just a simple bleeding diathesis can make you bleed into your skin. If your platelets go down to two, you know, you can bleed into your skin. Uh, Subcutaneous bleeding, hematoma, you know, most usually post-traumatic, that's below the skin. Now, as dermatologists, we're kind of responsible for below the skin as well as the skin. The skin's the epidermis and dermis. But the subcutaneous tissue kind of falls in our bailiwick as well, since nobody else in medicine understands sub-Q pathology very well. But people typically can distinguish the deeper bleeding kind of changes, uh, like a hematoma from purpura. There are proliferative changes, hemangiomas, pyogenic granulomas, blood vessel proliferation in the skin. And there's ectatic vessels, you know, spider veins and larger uh, varicosities. We're going to be focusing on the intracutaneous bleeding uh, uh, in our presentation today. So if you do kind of a diagram approach to this, uh, intracutaneous bleeding, uh, we've got uh, bleeding diathesis. Like I say, just there may be thrombocytopenia, and we can bleed into the skin, and, and that's the first manifestation. We need to recognize that and appropriately triage that patient, but we don't have to work them up for vasculitis because that's not the problem, For that's not what's causing their purpurum. Uh, there's vasculopathies. Uh, we're gonna talk about vasculitis in the pink circle, but I'm just gonna t- talk to you about what we're not gonna talk about, but you need to be aware of, is sometimes being confounders. Vasculopathies are processes that cause blood vessel occlusion, typically plugging up of vessels, or making the blood flow through vessels too slowly. Maybe hyperviscosity states would be an example of that. The vas- vessel wall can be injured in occlusive uh, vasculopathies, but that's not the primary problem. The primary problem is not inflammatory injury to the blood vessel walls, as we see in vasculitis, uh, but vas- vessel walls can be injured in a secondary way with things that abnormally plug up your vessels. We're gonna be talking about vasculitis. So, definition, uh, vasculitis would be uh, a group of disorders that destroy blood vessel walls by autoimmune mechanisms. And the cutaneous vascular, uh, vasculature is, is illustrated here. Very rich vascular uh, tissue. Uh, and this, the, the, the point about the, the, the vasculature is knowing which part of the skin has what size vessels because the size of the vessels and the kind of s- uh, clinical change that occurs when a, uh, a small vessel is damaged compared to a medium-sized artery or a large artery, they're, they're different kind of skin changes, so we need to understand that. That helps us start t- uh, tailoring our differential diagnosis. But in the, in the dermis, uh, epidermis has no blood vessels, of course, you can get bleeding into the epidermis if the dermal blood vessels are damaged. But the vessels in the dermis are predominantly uh, very, arterioles, uh, uh, capillaries, and venules. Uh, The medium-sized vessels are down, actually, medium-sized arteries are down at the junction of the reticular dermis and the fat, or in the fat themselves. And our theme is the same here, uh, as we discussed earlier with the uh, other uh, autoimmune connective tissue disorders, uh, that we can have vascular, vasculitic syndromes that only have cutaneous expression. We can have vasculitic syndrome that has no cutaneous expression, just systemic expression, and then those that have both. So vasculitis, what it isn't. um, You can see on, on biopsy, you know, elements of small vessel vasculitis in settings, in inflammatory settings, that aren't typically classified as being vasculitic. Uh, thought to have different types of mechanism than the traditional vasculitic uh, entities. You can see this change at the edge of an ulcer. Anytime you biopsy skin around an open area of skin, you can get a small vessel vasculitis. It's a secondary injury pattern there. It's not primary. Granuloma faciali, you can see some vasculitis-type changes in that setting. Erythema alabotum Uh lividoid vasculopathy, but we don't think about those as being you know, vasculitic entities per se. We give them other names. They're in different chapters of our, of our textbooks. And you, the concept of lymphocytic vasculitis is an important one as well. Um, and it, this is a, a confusion that relates to who's reading the slide mostly. You'll see a diagnosis on a skin biopsy of lymphocytic vasculitis uh, when general pathologists read uh, the skin biopsy. You know, realize that half of all pathology slides that are red uh, are skin biopsies, interestingly. So and not all skin biopsies are read by derm- by qualified dermatopathologists. So when it comes to inflammatory skin disease, you can really get led astray by a general interpretation of the inflammation pattern. It's a very specialized area of, uh, of dermatopathology, of which I think you guys all are aware of but sometimes you don't have a choice. You know, the insurance requires the biopsy to go here or there, and a lot of times general general pathologists read. General pathologists are pretty good at finding tumors in the skin, but they're not really good at the nuances of separating different patterns of inflammation in the skin. So you'll see this report saying lymphocytic vasculitis, period. Okay, well, what does that mean? You know, basically nothing. Uh, for the most part, nothing, because it's, 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 you know, a lot of inflammatory skin disease have a, cuffing of uh, mononuclear inflammatory cells around small vessels in the skin. Uh, but that's not vasculitis, that's perivascular inflammation. But those fine distinctions aren't always made uh, by generalists who read the biopsies. Now, not to say that there, there aren't some dermatologic conditions that seem to result from lymphocytic injury to blood vessel walls. Things like uh, perneo, uh, rickettsial disease, Uh, NK NK cell lymphoma, dermatopathologists agree. This is an area where you could perhaps use that term, but dermatopathologists are very stingy using, on their reports, lymphocytic vasculitis for the reasons I've mentioned. Okay, so nomenclature uh, focus, spontaneous, non-traumatic, intracutaneous bleeding, produces red-purple, non-blanching cutaneous color, uh, and that's purpura red purplish color. Uh, the, the, it's, and purpura typically occurs from bleeding from the small vessels that live in the dermis. Uh, and uh, when larger vessels are part of the disease process you get more than just purpura. You get nodules, you might get ulcers, you might get livid some other things. Uh, you may get some purpura, you may get a mixed pattern in diseases that have small vessel involvement as well as uh, medium-sized vessel involvement. But just just seeing purpura, you're thinking about intracutaneous bleeding, or bleeding from the dermal vasculature. So size and palpability help us at the bedside start classifying the type of bleeding in the skin that we're dealing with. Uh, petechiae, by definition, are little foci of uh, purpura that are less than 10 millimeters in diameter, whereas in the truest sense of the word, purpura is intracutaneous bleeding that produces a visible change greater than 10 millimeters. But we use this term purpura in a more broad sense uh, to indicate that purple discoloration in the skin, whatever the size. But when we're seeing true petechiae, three millimeter type lesions, we kind of think about non-vasculitic causes. That's more thrombocytopenic purpura, or bleeding from uh, uh, bleeding diathesis with really tiny little lesions or uh type uh, bleeding points. So the palpability of the initial skin change is, is important uh, in distinguishing uh, inflammation associated bleeding, such as a blood vessel wall that's been injured through an inflammatory process that then becomes incompetent and lets blood out into the dermis uh, versus uh, purpura without inflammation. So, and, and it's down to palpable and non-palpable purpura. Palpability meaning you're feeling the inflammation. If you catch the lesion early in its evolution, it's a bump, it's a little propyric bump, because the inflammation in that, around that vessel produces a tiny papule and you can feel it. Whereas just simple bleeding, like in thrombocytopenic bleeding, is gonna be, there's no inflammation, so you don't, you don't feel anything there, you just see the small foci of bleeding into the skin. So the palpability uh, of of purpura is important, starting to help think in terms of different uh, approaches to what's causing that. Um, This is an epidemiologic study that's not been published yet but will soon and I think, in the Mayo Clinic proceedings. Um, uh, It was the uh, Rochester Clinic Mayo Group that uh, just looked retrospectively at the uh, last 84 patients that met the criteria of cutaneous small vessel vasculitis uh, from their pathology files. And then they looked to see what the illness they had corresponded to. The blue half of this pie, which is just about 50%, is the idiopathic cutaneous small vessel vasculitis. The, the patients that come in with palpable purpura um, usually as a result of if anything if you can figure it out it's a post uh, viral kind of process or it's an allergic reaction to a medication it's quite transient you don't have to be do a big gigantic vasculitis workup if it's acute and you treat them symptomatically follow them for six weeks and it's gone you pretty much like like acute urticaria, can just manage it symptomatically. And that'll account for half of the cutaneous vasculitis patients, that is, dermatology healthcare providers, you're going to have to deal with. The orange part of the the pie is IgA vasculitis, or henoch shunline purpura. And it accounts for a pretty good slice of the pie as well. So you're, with those two entities alone, that's good. if you can learn about those two, you've got about two-thirds of cutaneous vasculitis under your belt already. The gray is the uh, ANCA uh, ANCA autoantibody-associated vasculitities, And then the uh, yellow is the cryoglobulinemic uh, purpura, due to hepatitis C uh, infection in the liver, generating an immune complex uh, disease that that produces uh, small vessel vasculitis in the skin. So we're going to focus on the cutaneous small vessel vasculitis uh, area as well as uh, IGA uh, or Henoch Schonlein purple because that's those two entities alone are going to be make up most of what you'll have to deal with. This is a representation again of the size of blood vessels and uh, and, and the target areas of the of the vasculature that are affected by a disease process. What kind of clinical changes you see? So when the smallest uh, arterioles capillaries and postcapillary venules are the main focus of injury uh, the basically two kinds of skin change we see palpable purpura or urticarial like lesions urticarial vasculitis if you will so cutaneous small vessel vascul uh, cutaneous small vessel leukocytoclastic vasculitis—that's a big thing to say. Used to be referred to as hypersensitivity vasculitis or angiitis, kind of the hypersensitivity drugs and bugs, you know, host response to infections or drug chemicals coming into the body. Uh, typically, that form of uh, purpura is dependent. Um, usually starts around the feet or ankles and can affect other areas, but but usually starts in those locations. And the individual lesions stay discreet. They don't bunch together and redeform arrays uh, as much uh, as other settings will. It can occur higher up on the body, on the thighs, even up on the trunk at times, Uh, but usually it's started on the lower legs in a dependent location and then spread upward. So the biopsy of, of cutaneous small-vessel leukocytoclastic vasculitis has kind of three main elements uh, to, to recognize it as a form of vasculitis. It's got a, uh, infil, an intense infiltrate focused around blood vessels, predominantly of neutrophils, and uh, those neutrophils are starting to break down. Their nuclei kind of come apart in little, little granules, uh, nuclear granule material. That's leukocytoclasis if you will. So the injury occurs from this neutrophilic infiltrate. It damages the blood vessel wall. The kind of damage is uh, recognized microscopically as fibrinoid necrosis of the blood vessel wall. And then the damaged blood vessel wall lets blood out of the blood vessel into the tissue. So you can see little red cells kind of hanging out in the interstitium as a result of that injury. So uh, a nice set of findings that uh, define this area. In uh, the idiopathic and uh, drug and uh, infectious triggered forms of cutaneous small vessel vasculitis, uh, if you catch the biopsy at the right time of the evolution of the lesion, you can see some immunoglobulin deposits in the blood vessel wall, as you see here uh, indicated by the arrows. The light colored area is the epidermis, the darker area is the dermis, and then the dermal papillae have the terminal blood vessels, and you can see uh, the immunoglobulin staining in those areas. Uh, it's not specific for vasculitis. You can see IgG and IgM and complement in, a lo- in the blood vessels in this area and a lot of other situations. The only pattern that's really specific is where IgA is the only immunoglobulin deposit, deposit or the predominant one, and that's IgA vasculitis or henoch line purpura. A point to keep in mind about palpable purpura is that the palpability is transient. Uh, these lesions come in waves, and when you catch them at the first uh, indication they're forming, that's when they're going to be palpable. But that inflammation can resolve fairly quickly within 24 hours, they can become non palpable. Uh, the biopsy showing inflammation is going to best be sampled at that palpable stage. So trying to get a biopsy from lesion, early lesions is always the best approach in, in this setting. And if you see the patient, you're suspicious of vasculitis, but everything's flat and macular, you could biopsy it. You, you might get lucky, but you could say, come back when you get your next wave, because, again, there's waves of these lesions cropping up uh, over, over time. So getting the patient back when they're getting their next flare, getting the biopsy then can be especially helpful. The same is true for the immunoglobulin deposits, they can disappear fairly quickly after that palpable stage. I'm Not gonna dwell on this, but this is the kind of thinking about idiopathogenesis of uh, cutaneous small vessel vasculitis. Um, something comes along, a bug that's got an antigen, the immune response sees the antigen, but there's similarity between a self-antigen on endothelium So there's this cross-reactive response. Antibodies are produced against the bug antigen, cross-reacts with uh, molecules on uh, endothelium, uh, microvascular endothelial cells, and that's a uh, a recognition point for danger. Uh, The neutrophils coming by see this antibody stuck there, become activated, and undergo a process of of activation, self-destruction, that ends up causing the damage to the blood vessel wall and that process of the neutrophils kind of exploding in that area is is called leukocytoclasis. next slide and we now understand that there's a very characteristic uh, mechanism going on there uh, that's uh, been recognized in areas outside of dermatology applies to small vessel vasculitis in the skin but in many of the other neutrophilic inflammatory conditions in dermatology that we deal with a lot, there's been relatively little work on seeing if this same process called neutrophil netosis applies there as well as it does to small vessel vasculitis. And it's kind of a crazy idea. The neutrophil, when it gets activated, undergoes a programmed cell death. It's not apoptosis. It's a different kind of program. The programmed death is where the nucleus uh, breaks apart, and the cell extrudes nuclear material in addition to actin filaments, along with antibacterial peptides like canthylacetin, into kind of a net like, like a fisherman's tossing a net out. Uh, And it's as if the neutrophil, part of its role is to project its toxic abilities beyond its little cellular self by casting this net out which can kill bacteria, and do other things, interestingly, also plays a role in lupus-type autoimmunity, as it turns out. But this netosis uh, is, is an interesting, recently recognized uh, effector mechanism by which uh, neutrophils do probably a fair amount of the damage they do to protect us from invaders, bacteria, or, or tumor cell development, but in which that, that damage can overflow and produce autoimmune injury as well. Urticarial vasculitis, another type of skin lesion that we get with, uh, with the smallest vessels in the skin being affected by a vasculitic injury. Um, and where we get urticaria like lesions, hive lesions, but they're a little different than simple urticaria. And I think probably most of the people in the room are familiar with those differences. Next slide. But on the biopsy you see the vasculitic changes on biopsy. The clinical changes can help you kind of segregate between urticaria and urticarial vasculitis. The urticarial vasculitic uh, lesions are more long lasting, 24 hours or longer, whereas urticaria lesions tend to cycle through quicker than that. Uh, there's more often pain or burning sensations in these lesions as opposed to itching, which is the main complaint in urticaria. They can resolve with some bruising or post inflammatory hyperpigmentation because of the vascular wall injury, and you typically don't see that in in areas of resolved urticaria. Uh, And systemic symptoms are more common in urticarial vasculitis, particularly joint symptoms, than in uh, simple urticaria. Um, And there's a subset of urticarial vasculitis that you need to be aware of called hypocomplementemic urticarial vasculitis. A rare situation, fortunately, because it can be quite severe. And it it, it occurs where the classical pathway of complement is artificially activated. And for a long time we didn't know why, but now we we think we know a bit more. Uh, These people make autoantibodies that are directed against the C1Q recognition component of the first component of complement, which is the recognition moiety, which which triggers the classical pathway to become activated. So these people, because of this antibody, are constantly activating uh, that pathway, and uh, that can uh, result in some pretty sick patients. Uh, That kind of ongoing systemic autoimmune process can uh, lead to fatal uh, intractable, urticarial like skin changes associated with arthritis, obstructive lung disease, a glomerulonephritis pattern. These people can really s- get sick. I've seen one woman die from this with heroic measures, everything we could throw at her, immunosuppression wise. Um, John Zones had a couple of deaths. Uh, he's a chair of our department in Utah who's special interest in vasculitis. Um, rituximab is showing some really interesting perhaps new therapeutic benefit to this group of uh, patients. So the way you'll recognize these, you know, as a subgroup, you can just do complement levels like C1Q, C4, uh, C2, C4, CH3, or a total hemolytic complement, CH50. Um, and, and those pretty much should all be pretty low, like uh, total hemolytic complement levels are zero in that setting. But now you have assays for this antibody that binds specifically to C1Q that triggers this. So you can order that antibody uh, uh, as an independent uh, 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 marker at this point. Okay, we've kind of talked about uh, the uh, half of the pie, the cutaneous small vessel vasculitis, uh, part of uh, cutaneous vasculitis. We're now going to switch over to the other half of the pie and focus on uh, more of the illnesses that not only affect skin vessels, but vessels and deeper tissue, and therefore more risk for systemic disease association. Now, we know that small vessel vasculitis, uh, skin lesions can be seen in a lot of other settings like, you know, SLE, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you know just a bunch of other things. So the only way that could make sense, we've got this group of idiopathic, where, uh, small vessel cutaneous vasculitis, but the same vessels can be damaged in a process that affects other blood vessels as well, the larger blood vessels. And that's we. This illustration te- attempts to um, go uh, summarize this. Uh, again, the, the isolated cutaneous leukocytoclastic vasculitis, just affecting this part of the vasculature, but as you go down this way, line purpura reaches over into the larger arterioles, and then the ANCA-associated vasculitic group even reaches farther over into the small arteries uh, and uh, produces a combination of skin lesions by entities such as micro scopic polyangitis, Wegener's granulomatosis, which has been renamed recently, and Churg-Strauss syndrome. And you can get a clue at the bedside if you're dealing with one of these entities that's a higher risk for systemic disease by some variations on the theme of how the purpura forms in the skin. And this is the concept of retiform purpura that Warren Piette, I think, in the University of Chicago is one of the uh, main proponents of over the years. And that's the idea that, that when you see these network, these uh, fishnet-like arrays of purpura developing uh, due to vasculitis in the skin, these branched areas of purpura, uh, that's indicative of more than just the tiniest vessels being affected. Uh, the larger vessels, and that can lead to occlusion uh, and damage that produces these more branched types of purpura configuration. So retiform or angulated purpura is branched appearance, uh, developed as a consequence of uh, vascular occlusion, vascular damage damage involving skin blood vessels of different sizes. Seen in a number of inflammatory settings uh, listed on the left. Next slide, it can be seen in some non-inflammatory settings like cholesterol embolization, uh, heparin necrosis, uh, thrombotic thrombocytic purpura, uh, so bleeding diathesis uh, disorders can and, and, and uh, embolic disorders can produce retiform purpura at times as well. Uh, if you want to dig more into retiform purpura, read something by Warren Piet. Uh, he the vasculitic chapter in our textbook he wrote, but he's written a number of other things and updated and, and his concept. and his, I think he's the world class scholar when it comes to vasculitic issues uh, in the skin. And his treatment of the reform purpura and his tables can really help you in differential diagnosis in tough situations. Okay, so we're kind of going up the Chapel Hill consensus conference. This was a group of rheumatologists and uh, other physicians, not dermatologists, uh, years back who put this this classification system together called the Chapel Hill consensus classification. Uh, and, and again, organize the vasculitic syndromes around the kind of vessels involved. Large vessel vasculitis, medium-sized vessel vasculitis, small vessel vasculitis. We've kind of dealt with the isolated forms of small vessel vasculitis, but uh, these, some of these medium-sized vessel vasculitis also target small vessel injury as well. And again, the graphic representation of an, uh, uh, the aorta, a giant artery, Uh, all the way down uh, to capillaries and then uh, superimposed on that the kind of skin lesions that result when these different caliber blood vessels are damaged uh, because these different caliber blood vessels are in different parts of the subcutaneous tissue or the uh, deeper tissues. So uh, we've talked about discrete palpable purpura, urticarial-like lesions for just the, the smallest vessels. Rediform purpura, subcutaneous nodules, Uh, Infarcts, ulcers, livido reticularis, and then aneurysms, all the way up to aneurysms when large vessels are affected uh, are the kind of lesions that result. Now, livido reticularis is a complex subject in itself, and I'm only going to use this one slide. I've got some other slides in the syllabus for you on this uh, and the differential diagnosis for livido reticularis in general. But there's a subtype called livido racemosa, which is an incomplete or branch type of livido reticularis that is probably a subtype that's most often associated with significant underlying pathology. Antiphospholibid antibody syndrome, Sneddon syndrome, lividoid vasculopathy, and such. So when you see this forked lightning or branch type of livido change, uh, that was the, that, that's the t- subtype that I'm most concerned about uh, reflecting underlying significant cutaneous vascular abnormalities. Okay, when the largest vessels are affected with vasculitis, like the aorta, uh, get aneurysms, but we don't see aneurysms a lot in the skin. Uh, These are deep vessel aneurysms. Sometimes when a small artery is affected, uh, we can feel an aneurysm down in the deep subcutaneous layer, like in polyarteritis nodosa. Uh, But in, in diseases like giant cell arteritis, next slide, which is a large vessel type of vasculitis, you know, all we see is just a torturous large artery. (laughs) It can be a little tender to palpation. uh, And sometimes they'll develop overlying secondary changes in the skin like ischemic necrosis or ulceration in the scalp or on the temporal area. But sometimes just this palpable cord under the surface of the skin is all you see. Okay, when the medium-sized vessels are, are targeted uh, small arteries, we get nodules down the subcutaneous tissue, infarcts, overlying ulcers developing from infarcts, and then aneurysms developing as well. Uh, next slide, I think, is, again, poly, uh, classic polyarteritis nodosa being an example of that. And again, this is an arteri- or a small artery down in the subcutaneous tissue, which where most of the small arteries are, are located, uh, that's become inflamed and vasculitic. So biopsy of subcutaneous nodules. Uh, this is an issue comes up when you, the deeper the lesion that you're dealing with, the harder it is to get a good sample for biopsy, especially a subcutaneous nodule. Uh, a punch biopsy is hard to reach. That you don't have time to break down and do an excisional biopsy, incisional biopsy. Um, so we take a shot at it. Uh, what I would suggest you consider is doing a punch in a punch. Uh, start off with an 8 millimeter punch overlying the nodule. You take that, plug of tissue out, submit it, and then with a 6 millimeter punch, go to the base and go deeper. And now you're going to be down in the fat, but you can get a decent sample of fat that way. Yes, you might run into a a nerve or a vessel, but you're going to run into those anyway if you're doing an incisional biopsy. So it's a way that a lot of times will give you much more tissue to look at and for the pathologist to be able to make a diagnosis from than just a four millimeter punch of the epidermis dermis and a tiny bit of the fat overlying a subcutaneous process. So classic polyautoritis nodosa uh, certainly uh, affect the skin with, the, with nodules, but it can target vessels and, and internal organs, liver, kidney, heart, lung, gastrointestinal tract. It can be a pretty serious uh, disease in, in some patients. There is a cutaneous only form, uh, kind of like localized discoid LE, uh, just skin changes and none of the systemic changes. Next slide. Okay, well, we, henoch line purpura is in this group where a bit of the larger arteries are uh, affected as well as the smaller vessels. So the clinical constellation of uh, IGA vasculitis or Henoch-Shunline purpura, which is traditionally a childhood onset disorder but certainly can be seen as an adult onset disorder, And perhaps could even be a little more serious prognosis in adult onset disease, especially with respect to Ig nephritis association. So, clinically, inflammatory retiform purper on the legs and arms, uh, arthralgia, abdominal pain, hematuria. Uh, Lab, the most specific lab finding is the presence of IgA in the blood vessels when you take a biopsy for direct immunofluorescence microscopy, either isolated IgA or where IgA is the predominant immunofluorescence uh, or immunoglobulin, immune class that's being deposited. And, of course, uh, uh, looking for proteinuria as a, as a uh, sequelae of uh, uh, IgA nephropathy developing. So uh, essential mixed cryoglobulinemia, we used to call it that, essential, meaning idiopathic, unknown, we didn't know what caused it until people came along with the ability to identify hepatitis C virus and realized that this is a, a, an immune hypersensitivity reaction to hepatitis C in the liver is this immune complex formation that produces dependent palpable purpura uh, and has elevated mixed cryoglobulins along with rheumatoid factor. You can kind of screen for this with rheumatoid factor. The rheumatoid factor is negative, they hardly ever have significant cryoglobulin levels. So. Um, But uh, cryoglobulins are the hallmark there. Okay, now we're dropping down into a group of disorders where larger vessels are affected, and there's an antibody marker for these diseases, and that's the ANCA antibodies, antibodies to neutrophil cytoplasmic antigens. So a neutrophil gets targeted for autoantibody production, and those antibodies being markers for the disorders like microscopic polyangiitis, uh, Wegener's granulomatosis, churg strauss syndrome. This is a picture from the first edition of Bologna's textbook, uh, the autoantibody section, which uh, I was a co-author on, showing how difficult it can be to interpret this group of antibodies. Uh, they can be occur in non-vasculitic settings, So if it's something you really want to prepare yourself for, you're going to really have to study this a little bit more than I can go over today. Uh, But basically there's two subtypes, the P-ANCA and C-ANCA subtypes, and they do break down somewhat uh, uh, as being helpful in distinguishing these different ANCA uh, vasculitic subtypes. So uh, uh, Wegener's granulomatosis, which the new designation is granulomatosis with polyangitis, and the, the purists are not putting Wagner on. And the reason the name was changed is because he was a, a war criminal physician. He did bad things to prisoners in World War II. And uh, so there's this movement to just erase his name. Uh, Heinrich Gottren, Gottren's Papules, is in the same category. I, there has not been a movement yet to erase his name, but that probably will happen as well. Um, Diagnostic constellation, uh, about 40% of patients' skin, mucosal membranes are affected, small and medium-sized vessels. Uh, Systemic features are upper airway, sinuses, nasal cavity, uh, uh, nose, eyes uh, being targeted, uh, as well as lungs, kidneys, uh, and the antibody marker being the C-ANCA antibody for Wegener's granulomatosis. Some examples of the kind of changes, visible changes you see with uh, uh, this form of vasculitis, just little papules around the elbows, small vessel type vasculitic lesions, but larger vessel lesions, ulcers. It's a granulomatous as opposed to neutrophilic pattern of inflammation associated with vessel wall damage. Uh, Strawberry gums, uh, ocular involvement, and they can get these cavitating infiltrates in the lower lungs. Uh, is a major all, a frequent part of their disease. So this can be a very severe form of systemic vasculitis and has to be treated aggressively. Church Strauss syndrome used to be called allergic granulomatosis, uh, and allergic because these people almost always have a history of asthma, hay fever, you know kind of atopic background on which this develops. Uh, Skin and mucosal membranes develop, about half the patients uh, have these kind of visible changes against small, medium-sized vessels. So asthma, rhinitis, eosinophilic lung infiltration, peripheral eosinophilia uh, being uh, associated findings. The uh, vessel wall damage with a very intense granulomatous inflammation that includes eosinophils. Uh, Lesions like this in the skin also can get uh, pulmonary uh, involvement. Microscopic polyangitis, uh, the last of the group of the ANCA vasculitides. Uh, uh, now, I think I may not have added that. The uh, the uh, uh, Strauss syndrome is C-ANCA antibody is more often seen compared to the P-ANCA antibody. The other kind of uh, the, the nature of these P and C-ANCA. P stands for uh, proteinase three is the molecule that that antibody reacts to. And that can be tested in ELISA, so you can ask for a proteinase 3 autoantibody screen. Uh, and the, uh, uh, the P-ANCA is directed toward uh, myeloperoxidase in neutrophils. And, and that is a purified antigen that can be used in ELISA, a solid phase assay, to test specifically. And this is a disease that really, systemic illness, people start with fever, malaise, they're just sick as can be and and they get worked up and they find that there is this underlying pattern of vasculitis that about half the patients will have skin changes, the other half doesn't, skin or mucosal membrane changes and lung changes. Okay, wrapping up, the management of cutaneous vasculitis. Uh, Role of DERM healthcare providers, I think, is to Diagnose and treat the the, vascul- the, the cutaneous vasculitides that do not have clinically significant systemic manifestations. Again, isolated cutaneous small vessel leukocytoclastic vasculitis. Um, uh, dermatologists, healthcare providers, often treat IgA vasculitis or henoch purpura, but not many dermatologists I know, including myself, primarily care for patients with Wegener's granulomatosis. Microscopic polyangitis um, uh, and uh, eosinophilic granuloma—they're typically shared with a the rheumatologist. Uh, these patients often are very ill, uh, sometimes requiring hospitalization, usually requiring very active, strong drug treatment. And uh, I, you know, I take care of the skin, and the rheumatologist is is co-managing, taking care of the systemic features. Uh, There's a few, our chairman doesn't refer anybody to rheumatology and nephrology. Zone's amazing. He's an internist, and he he feels like he's as capable as anybody uh, dealing with any of these diseases, but I've never felt that comfortable myself, and like to co-manage these ANCA-associated vascularities with uh, the appropriate subspecialists. Lab workup of vasculitis, uh, this is supposed to be ANA for the SLE subgroup. Uh, the C1Q antibody we've discussed for this subgroup with hypocomplementemic article vasculitis and uh, more aggressive prognosis. Uh, the ANCA antibodies, and we kind of we kind of talked about those already. Treatment. Uh, when it's the cutaneous manifestations and there's predominantly a neutrophilic infiltrate you have the option of using non immunosuppressive uh, drugs, systemic drugs such as colchicine, dapsone, or hydroxychloroquine. More often colchicine and dapsone are used in these uh, chronic idiopathic uh, cutaneous small vessel uh, vasculitic cases and can work quite well and avoid having to resort to steroids or uh, other immunosuppressive drugs. But again, in the more aggressive uh, patients, you're going to need more aggressive systemic immunomodulation, systemic corticosteroids, uh, the conventional immunosuppressives. And again, uh, rituximab, or the the B-cell depleting biologic, is really kind of revolutionizing treatment of severe systemic vasculitis. In the past, the main drug was cyclophosphamide which is a horrible drug, Uh, you know, just all kind of toxicity with that drug. But it was the only thing that could really help these really severe systemic vasculitic cases. But rituximab is rapidly replacing, cyclophosphamide as the go-to drug for systemic vasculitis. Uh, Much safer drug, it appears, over time. Okay, in terms of references, again, I just refer you on vasculitis, Uh, and I want to learn more. I go read what Warren Pietz written uh, most recently. Uh, again, he's got a very good chapter in our textbook, but that's a little dated now. Um, if, you're, if you really want to learn about uh, vasculitic phenomena from a dermatologist's perspective, he's also a hematologist oncologist before he did his derm training. Uh, he's a real scholar in this area. So I thank you for your attention sitting through two hours of esoterica on a Friday afternoon. That's very brave of you, and I appreciate it, thank you.